finishing uh, up a, a section of Romans 11 uh, today. We won't finish all of Romans 11, uh, but we're going to be verses 25 uh, through 32 this morning, if you'd like to follow along as I read the word of God. Listen then to the word of God. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. As regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he might have that he may have mercy on all. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and heavenly father, Lord, we want to come into your presence this morning uh, and we want to be a people who delight in you and delight in your word. And as we walk through this passage of scripture, we pray that you would uh, speak to us through the work of your Holy Spirit, that your word would be living and active and powerful in our midst. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give me the words to say that your name would be glorified, that our lives would be changed and touched and that we would continue to grow in our faith as we uh, feed upon your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. We're wrapping up what Paul has been saying about Israel and its relationship uh, to the gospel today. And one of the things that we need to remember as we think about the gospel is exactly where Romans started in saying the gospel is the power of God. We actually had a little bit of discussion on this in Sunday school this morning uh, that we sometimes are thinking as believers about all sorts of things that are powerful and power. And yet we don't focus on the gospel as the power of God. And our main point this morning is simply the gospel as the power of God brings salvation to all groups of people. And here Paul is talking about the relationships between Jew and Gentile and is saying that God is not done with his work for Israel, for the Jewish people. And that's because the gospel is the power of God. And God's plan is to save a people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And so as we think about evangelism, as we think about missions, as we think about all of these things, we need to remember the gospel is the power of God that goes forth. It goes out. It brings salvation to people. People hear the word. The Lord works in them and they respond and people get saved. And as you think about this. And you think about this spread of the gospel, you look at your own life and you need to say, I need to be careful that I don't get proud. I need to be careful that I don't get wise and smart in my own eyes, that I think I'm better than everybody else, that I think I'm smarter than other people, that I pat myself on the back 
for my belief in the gospel. No, we are a people that give glory to God in all of these things. That acknowledge the work of God in saving people. And we are just as much a part of that work and just as much indebted to God's work in us as anyone else is. And so we shouldn't be surprised when God works in other people. We shouldn't get puffed up and arrogant and think, well, God can work in me, but he would never work in this or that person. The gospel as the power of God brings salvation to all groups of people. Look at verse 32. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. And part of what Paul is saying here is not all in terms of every individual, but all in terms of all groups of people, all types of people, the whole range. Remember where this book has started, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is the scope of the all. Everybody that has Jewish heritage And everybody that has Gentile heritage, which regardless of where you come from ethnically in the world, that's everybody else. The gospel is proclaimed and the power of God is saving people from everywhere. Paul has said in Romans 3, 9, what then? Are Jews any better off? Not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under Sin, And this is what Paul means when he says, for God has consigned all to disobedience. First, this morning, as we talk about the gospel being the power of God for the salvation of all groups of people. First, the mystery then of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel is the manner in which it's spreading. Now, you think about your Bible and you think about the Old Testament and the Old Testament is primarily written and given to the Jewish people. They are the ones that God sent the prophets to. And I've been saying over and over again, there is places in the Old Testament where it's clear that God's plan was that the nations would be saved. And yet his focus is on Israel. His focus is on Israel. And so you would expect when the plans and purposes of God come to fruition, that Israel would openly respond, that she would see these things, that she would know these things, that it would just be automatic because she had the Bible. And this is the mystery of the gospel, that by and large, the people of God the people of Israel were not responding. And remember, Paul has started this section in chapter 9 answering the question, has the Word of God failed? No! And this is the mystery of the unfolding of the plan of God. So there's a mystery now revealed to how the Gospel is spreading. Look at verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own eyes, I do not want you to be unaware to this mystery, brothers, A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So here is the mystery. Here is uh, the part of the plan of God that God is now revealing and showing to us that there is a partial hardening of Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Notice that it is a partial hardening. It's a partial hardening in terms of numbers. Paul has been saying 
even in his day. It's not as if there is no one from a Jewish heritage that is getting saved. There are people. Paul says in Romans 11 too. Yeah, I'm of Abraham. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a believer. So it's not as if God has abandoned his people. He's still working in Israel. There are still Jewish people uh, getting saved. He says in Romans 11:5. so too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And remember how he used the example of Elijah. And in Elijah's day, there were thousands of men that still had not bowed the knee to Baal. And, and God is using this, Paul is using this to say, look, yeah, a large numbers of Israel are not getting saved. But don't think that no one is getting saved. There is still a remnant. Romans 11, 1. So I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? Rather, by no, or by no means, rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Meaning, have they stumbled so much that there's no one getting saved, they've fallen all away, and that there is no hope or plan and purpose again for God to do anything with Israel? And Paul is saying, no. The second thing is that this partial hardening is limited in the scope of time, meaning it's only going to last for a period, for a while. Paul says, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. It's interesting when you look at this word until and one of the commentators, uh, Doug Moo, drew this out. This word is used 37 times, actually, in, in the New Testament. Uh, 25 of those times it's used uh, when it's used um, or excuse me, it's used 37 times in terms of a temporal uh, statement until meaning some phase of time. 25 times when it's talking about some phase of time until it's talking about something that lasts for a period until there is a change. So this idea of the until the full number of Gentiles comes in, meaning this hardening lasts for a while until there is a change, until there is a change of of the situation. And Paul has been telling us that throughout the context. So we don't base that reading just on the word. Uh, Rather, we base it on the context that God will again work with Israel. And I'll unpack that uh, in a minute. But notice that this partial hardening lasts for only a time. Paul has said in Romans 11:15, for if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, Israel's rejection, what will their acceptance mean? But the resurrection from the dead, Romans 11:23. And even they, if they did not continue in their unbelief, uh, even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. God is, Paul is hinting at this. That God in the power of the gospel will bring them to salvation. He can graft in Israel again. Those in the nation that are not believing, there can come a time where there will be a large number that believe. And this is what Paul is saying. Israel right now is rejecting the gospel The gospel is going to the Gentiles and Israel is going to see this and there's going to come a point where this jealousy builds. And what do you do when you get jealous? Uh, You respond. You do something. And so until this will go on, until the full number of the Gentiles come in, and then there will be a point, Paul says, when 
Israel will be saved. All Israel, he'll say in the next word. But I want you to notice this. Verse 25 starts with this exhortation to all of us. We're not to be wise in our own eyes. We're not to be wise in our own sight. It connects with verse 18. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. It connects to verse 20, the end of verse 20. So do not become proud, but fear. It connects to the warning in verse 22. Provided you continue in God's kindness. Sort of reminds me in the movie Star Wars, where Luke Skywalker finally shoots down one of the TIE fighters. And and he's like, yeah, all right. And Han Solo says, don't get cocky, kid. Don't get prideful. Don't get puffed up. Just because God is working with the Gentiles, just because maybe even as a church we see God working in us, don't be prideful. Don't think that there's something special about us that would cause God to work in us. We have all been sinners. We are all under sin. And God shows mercy according to the purposes of His will, not based on anything that is found in us or anything that we do. Don't get prideful. We've had some awesome things happen in the life of the church in the past uh, three or four years. And we want to continue to pray that God continues to work and continues to, to work in us and do great things and that the Word of God would go forward and And it'd be great if the church continued to grow. More importantly, we want to continue to grow individually, spiritually speaking. But don't get prideful. We're kind of right at that sweet spot where we've seen God doing some great things and we anticipate Him doing more great things. And it's a a wonderful place to be in. And, And just as I reflect on it, I just feel such a blessing of God. But now is precisely the time where we need to worry about maintaining humility. Because the temptation is when things get going well, we start to say, well, it's because of us. And this pride that Paul is worried about is is inside the church and the relationship between Jews and Gentiles and Gentiles now being prideful and thinking they're better than people that had a a Jewish heritage. It's ironic because in in the Second Temple Judaism, it wasn't all that uncommon sometimes for Jewish people to have sort of a measure of pride and arrogance. And Paul actually has warned about that. Those who boast that they have the law but aren't doers of the law in Romans chapter 2. But now it's like the shoe is on the other foot. We see God working with the Gentiles. And Paul is saying, don't you become prideful. We see him working in our church. Don't become prideful. We see him working in our nation or on a mission field or somewhere specific. Don't become prideful. You see him maybe not working as bountifully on some other place in the world. Don't become prideful. One of the missionaries that sticks out in my mind are missionaries that have been on uh, an Indian reservation in Minnesota for a number of years, for I think it's close to three decades now. And they had some real struggles on that field. And it was really easy for people to look and say, well, God isn't using them there. 
Why don't they go to this mission field? Why don't they go here? Where maybe they're not cut out to be missionaries. Maybe they're not fit. And it's really easy to be prideful and judge. Don't become prideful when God is working in your life. Don't think you're better or more privileged because God is working in your life. Recognize that the basis by which God does things in your life is solely by His grace. It's by His mercy. He's giving us all these things that we don't deserve. Why should we boast as if we deserve them? Why should we boast as if we've done something? And so even as you understand the blessings of the Old Testament, the promise to Abraham that's been poured out to us, that even as believers today, we become heirs of the promise, Paul says in Galatians. Or as he said in Romans, we get grafted in. That promise that was given to Abraham and he partook of it by faith, every believer is part of that family now. That spiritual blessing. But just don't let it become pride in your life. It's a mystery why God is doing this. It's a mystery why God spreads the gospel in the way that he does. Why in the course of history did the gospel go to Italy and then up into Western Europe before it went to South America? Actually, it went also into Northern Africa before it went into Europe. But why did God do it that way? It's a mystery. Don't get prideful about it. Second, this morning, the gospel is still for ethnic Israel. She has hope. So all Israel will be saved. Look at verse 27 or 26 and 27. In this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. There's actually several different options here for how to interpret all Israel. And I don't want to bore you with all of the details, but I do just want to highlight them. One way of thinking of all of Israel is to say all spiritual Israel, all the spiritual people of God, whether you're ethnically Jewish or whether you're ethnically Gentile, just everybody that is part of God's family, part of salvation. Paul says, for example, in Philippians chapter 3, to the church, we are the circumcision. Circumcision is a fairly Jewish term. And yet Paul is saying we're the ones that were spiritually circumcised. It's debated, but in Galatians 6.16, Paul says, upon the Israel of God. And some think he's talking about the nation. I tend to think he's talking about uh, all of the people of God, including the church. Nevertheless, in Galatians 4.26, he says to the church, but the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. So even also in First Peter, we are called, and in Revelation 5, the church is called a kingdom of priests, which is language in the Old Testament used for Israel. So sometimes some of the spiritual imagery in the Old Testament is applied uh, to the church. Is that what Paul means here when he says all Israel? That's one option. I don't think it's the best option. Why? Because in the context, he has been distinguishing between Jew and Gentile in terms of ethnicity. 
Some people think that this verse, all Israel, just means all saved Jews will be saved. Uh, that's a possibility as well. He said in the beginning of chapter 9, not all Israel, not all physical Israel, is Israel, meaning all saved Israel or spiritual Israel. That's certainly a possibility here. I think the best way to translate all Israel or understand all Israel here is referring to all those who have Jewish heritage. In this way, all Israel will be saved. He's talking about the nation, the people that have the heritage. He says in verse 28 that, that they are enemies of the gospel, but for, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. He's talking there about that ethnic connection to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so what Paul means by this is at the timing of the return of the Lord Jesus. When, when Jesus Christ comes down from Zion, here's that quote from Isaiah, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. This is the manner. This is how all Israel will be saved. That there will be a large number of, of people with a Jewish heritage at this time that as the Lord is returning, they'll respond. The gospel will work in them. They will finally believe that Jesus is their Messiah. Because as the Deliverer is coming, He is going to banish... He is going to banish... And, and now I lost it. Where's the verse? Yeah. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. Oh, that just messed up my flow there, right? Uh, he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And what, what Paul means there is not, well, he's going to judge the ungodly, but he's actually going to remove the ungodliness from the people. It's a, it's a promise of salvation. It's a promise that this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So this parallel language of banishing ungodliness, removing and taking away the sins. The idea is... That, as Paul has been saying, there is this partial hardening of Israel until the full number of Gentiles come in. And then this is how all Israel is going to be saved. There will be a conversion of a large number of Jewish people when the Lord returns. So Paul doesn't mean that every single person that ever in the history of time has had Jewish heritage will be saved. No, only those who believe. Only those who have faith. And Paul has said, the nation of Israel is cut off because of unbelief. In other words, you don't come to saving faith because of your ethnic heritage. You don't come to saving faith because of who you are. You don't receive those gifts because of something in you. You only partake of it because you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's an inward work of the Holy Spirit. And we need to remember that. But Paul is saying that God hasn't forgotten His covenant with the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. And part of this message is that Gentiles are getting grafted in until the full number is there. And even during this time, I mean, there are people now that are Jewish in their heritage and they're believing uh, it's not that everyone in, in, that has Jewish heritage doesn't believe the gospel. But he still has this hope. There will be a conversion. 
Paul is quoting Isaiah 59, verses 20 and 21. Then a Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, my spirit that is upon you and my wounds that I put that I have put in your my words, excuse me, that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, for this time forth and forevermore. The the mystery of this is God is putting his Holy Spirit in us now. This is the the new covenant and the church is a partaker of this. But when Jesus Christ returns, God will open the eyes of a large number of people from Israel that have this Jewish heritage and they will have the blessing of the Spirit and become partakers in the new covenant. And this is going to be an awesome thing. But this is a mystery. Because Paul says in verse 28, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Large number of people right now are enemies of the gospel. Large number of people with Jewish heritage reject the gospel. And you see it in Paul's day as he goes into these synagogues and they drive him out and they want to beat him and stone him. They're rejecting the gospel. But Paul says it's for your sake. It's because the gospel is going to the nations. And yet he also says He also says, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. God's fulfillment of his word does not revoke his word. God doesn't change his word. God doesn't change his mind. God doesn't make a promise and halfway through change the the deal of the promise. When he makes a promise, he keeps a promise. And so he says in verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Paul's used this language of call to speak of the believer. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who have been called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among his brothers. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Those people that God has called to salvation will not be lost. And Paul is using the application of this language, the the gifts and the calling. There are some things that God gave to Abraham as terms of a gift and a calling, a covenant promise that right now it is being fulfilled in us. And yet don't think that God has forgotten about Israel. Don't think that they aren't important to him. When God calls someone, he will raise us up on the last day. And the promise to Abraham in Genesis is that kings will come from his line. And that as, mul- as, multitude, as massive as the multitude of stars in the heavens or the sand on the seashore, so shall Abraham's offspring be. 
his descendants, his seed. That applies, on the one hand, physically to his physical offspring. But more important, the New Testament shows us that applies to his spiritual offspring. That Christ is the fulfillment of the promise of the seed. And Jew and Gentile, when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you become an heir to that promise. But don't think Paul has, or God has turned his back. There's still a remnant. And Paul is saying there will come a day where that remnant is not a small number, but a large number. And the hope of this is in the gospel. God has promised to Abraham a large number of children of promise and partakers of the grace of the gospel. And that will happen. The question you and I should ask as we're reflecting on Romans 9, 10, and 11 is this. Why would God include me in this plan? Why would God include me in this plan of giving mercy? Romans 11.5, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Why does God give me grace? Romans 9.15 and 16, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And so it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Why does God have mercy on you and I? Did I do something? Did I bring something to the table? You see, do I stand here before the, the feet of God hearing these verses and, and bow the knee and marvel at the mercy of God and, and weep at the riches of it because I know that I am under sin and I know that I do not deserve these things, that I have rebelled against God. And yet God showed me the gospel Someone came and preached to me and said, Jesus Christ died on the cross for sin. He rose again from the dead. Believe in Him and you can have eternal life. You can be part of the family of God if you just trust in Jesus. Receive what He is giving and offering. Why did my heart open? My heart that hated God. Why did God call me in that inward way through the Holy Spirit where, where this was overwhelming and compelling. Why should He do that? You realize that God had every right in our sin to judge us. That God has every right to send you and me. Yes, me too. A pastor. To hell. Because I'm wicked. And a sinner. And God shows mercy. Do you see why Paul says, don't be wise in your own eyes? Don't be proud. Don't be self-confident in an arrogant sort of way. Don't think that, that you're special and that God working with the Gentiles now makes the Gentiles special and the Jews not special. Don't think that you're that, if you have Jewish heritage, that you're special and deserve the gospel more than the Gentiles. 
For as Paul has said, all are under sin. We are all slaves to it. We are all in the disobedience. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, God gives mercy to all types of people. He gives mercy to the person who's the Pharisee, who's religious, self-absorbed. And he opens their heart to see that all that religiosity means nothing. And maybe some of you grew up in a Christian home. You lived a pretty decent life. Humanly speaking, you were a good kid. You were a good adult. And yet God showed you that you were a sinner. That you didn't deserve the grace of God. That all those things that you had together in your life, that you were doing well, none of it mattered in the eyes of a holy God. Maybe some of you didn't grow up in Christian homes. Maybe some of you had horrible lives, horrible backgrounds. Sins that, that you've committed that, we, that some of us couldn't even imagine. And in the same way, God showed you that you needed mercy. And He gave you that mercy. You believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that before the foot of the cross, we are all equal? We are all in in need of the same mercy. We are all beggars before God with nothing to offer Him. Don't get prideful. God doesn't owe you His grace. He isn't obligated to give you mercy. He doesn't owe you answers for why He's allowing this or that to happen in your life. Sometimes He shares it with us. Sometimes He gives us wisdom and insight. Many times, He does not. Sometimes a tragedy happens and God never tells you why that happened. But you know, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that God has called you. And God works together all things for good for those who love Him or those whom He's loved to conform you to the image of the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. Last this morning, the gospel is bringing mercy to all groups of people. So again, Paul is outlining and summarizing his plan. Look at verse, not his plan, but God's plan. Look at verse uh, 30 and 31. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too, now being disobedient, in order that mercy might be shown to you, they may now they also may now receive mercy. And part of this, I think, is Paul saying, yes, of course, there are some now who are receiving mercy, some of the Jewish people. But I think it's this idea that there is this plan and purpose of God, this long term game, if, if you will. God is bringing in these Gentiles and it's making Jewish people jealous. Don't get cocky that God is using their disobedience to bring obedience to the Gentiles. But then at the same time, just as God took us who were disobedient, who were unaffiliated with the plans and purposes and covenants of God and brought us mercy and brought us to obedience and grace. So God will take this, these people who in in Israel should have known the promises of God and in large numbers are now being disobedient and they will again receive the mercy of God. Will it be because of something that they've done? No. 
It will be because of the gospel. It will be because of the power of God. So Paul has said in Romans 11, 11, rather through their trespasses, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And this is what he's saying here with the disobedience of them in order that mercy might be shown to you. But Paul also says in verses 13 and 14 of Romans 11 that part of Paul's ministry, even though he's the apostle to the Gentiles, it is to bring Jewish people to salvation. And so Paul concludes this section that God has handed all people over to sin so that he might have mercy on all people. Look at verse 32. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. When it says here that he might have mercy on all, it does not mean that every individual who ever lived will be saved. It does not mean universalism. Universalism is the idea that everybody goes to heaven. doesn't matter who you are, what you did. doesn't matter if you believed in Jesus, didn't believe in Jesus. It's, it's sort of like we all just get a pass at the end, like God grades on a curve and we all get into heaven. Paul's not talking all in terms of every individual because we know there are people that reject the gospel and they don't experience the mercy of God. The offer of the gospel is there. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. But they never come to a saving experience. Paul is talking about the scope of human history. That God has consigned all, everybody, wherever you live, whatever your background, your heritage, to disobedience. That he might have mercy on all. All groups of people. People from every tongue, tribe, and nation. How do we know this? Because in uh, Revelation, or excuse me, Romans 1.16, he says the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. He's been scoping out what this all means. Jew and Gentile, people of every type. Romans 3.9. What then? Are the Jews any better off? Not at all. For we have charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Now, we also know that every individual in this life, except for Jesus, who was perfect, every individual in this life is, is under sin. But part of the scope is to say that all people groups, Jew and Gentile, are under sin. And all people groups will have an experience with the gospel. When we get to heaven, and this is the awesomeness about missions, this is the awesomeness about sharing the gospel, there will be people from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation that are there. There will be people from backgrounds culturally that you and I have never even heard of. There will be people groups that have long since gone extinct. And there will be someone there that believed in the Lord Jesus Christ because God sent a missionary or the Word of God got to them. If you don't like multicultural if you don't like different people from different backgrounds, you're not going to like heaven very much. This is why we say don't get cocky, particularly as Americans, right? We do have this wonderful heritage. We do have some things where our laws are, are at least in some ways, based on, on Judeo-Christian values, Ten Commandments. We have certain forefathers in in America, not all of them for sure, but some of them that certainly were believers. 
the modern missionary movement in some ways was pioneered, at least in this sense, the 19th or the 20th century after World War II, in large part by Americans and the Western world. Does that make us better? Does that make us smarter or wiser or more worthy of the gospel or better off as a people? Absolutely not. All of us were under disobedience and God was gracious to show mercy to all of us. Let me make three conclusions. Number one, any future hope for Israel is the same hope that is all it has always been. The gospel as the active power of God. One of the rabbit trails that people go down with in this passage is, you know, what's happening now in Israel? Will that be the fulfillment? And how are things getting lined up for the end times? And I'm just going to say to you, I don't know. God could return tomorrow. God could return a thousand years from now. God could have the political nation of Israel fall apart and there be no political nation of Israel again for a hundred years and the Lord returns and a large number still get saved. Don't take this passage and try to figure out what God is doing in current events. Don't try to set the timing of the return of the Lord through this. Don't try to think that God, that Israel needs to rebuild the temple if God is going to work with them again. The same way that we get saved through the gospel, through believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, is the same way that God will save this all of Israel. That He will work again in them. But it will be the gospel and it will be because they receive Jesus as the Messiah. As He's returning, they will see who He is. And they will partake of the resurrection of the dead unto life. But don't try to speculate where Scripture is silent. Kind of the balance here is this. Don't deny the role of Israel. Some people want to say, well, God is done with them. There's no hope. There's no, they're not going to have any opportunity to convert. Don't deny that. On the other hand, don't misapply the role of Israel. Second, notice here this thrust of this entire passage. Who alone can save? Only God. Who alone gives mercy? Who alone gives grace? God. What do we do to curry God's favor? What can we do to to make Him like us more? Nothing! He gives His mercy and all that we do is believe and receive and say, I have nothing and God, You are giving me salvation. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But believing in Jesus Christ is trusting that only He can save. And it's saying, I can't do anything. It's saying, I have nothing to offer. Please give me your gift. It's the mercy of God. And we sing in our song, You, O Lord, have made a way. The great divide You heal. For when our hearts were far away, your love went farther still. Yes, your love goes farther still. You alone can rescue. You alone can save. You alone can lift us from the grave. You came down to find us, to lead us out of death. To you alone belongs the highest praise. 
And just a spoiler for next week, this is how Paul ends chapter 11. Who's marveling at the mysteries of the mercies of God and how great His ways? Who is like Him? And then lastly, which I've already said, but consider how expansive the plan and purpose of God. God is not the God of one ethnic group. The gospel is not a gospel for one group of people, one physical country, one ethnic tribe, one family. It's a gospel that goes to people from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. And the promise of God is that the gospel will be effective as we share it, as we proclaim it, as we preach it. And when you and I get to heaven, there will be people from everywhere, every conceivable background, rich and poor, everywhere. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior? Have you received this mercy from God? And are you a part of His family? Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for this day. We thank You for the privilege that it is to to hear Your Word and to know You. We ask that You would work in our hearts, that we would see how gracious God is, how good You are to us, Lord, in what You have done and bringing forth the Lord Jesus Christ to die on the cross and, and offering the Gospel to us that if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we might be saved. And You taking us who are dead in our hearts and opening our eyes. Oh, open our eyes, Lord. Help us to see. Give us the eyes of faith and a heart of trust that we might receive Your salvation. Let us not boast in what You've given us as a gift. Let us boast in You, the giver of the gift. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You could stand with us for this last song.